0: Thank you so much, men. Thank you, worship team. What a wonderful, wonderful note for our praise and worship this morning. I was thinking about that song, and uh, it's based on uh, an aria by the composer Puccini. Many of you know the song is called Nesum Dorma. That's the, the song beneath that, and I was interested to find out what does that mean not up to date on my Italian it means let no one sleep and I thought and smiled that must have been the attitude of the angels that night in Bethlehem to those sleepy shepherds let no one sleep Christ is born right Christ is born And that's the promise we celebrate this week. I hope you're celebrating that promise. And I hope in the midst of all of the expressions of comfort and joy out there at the mall and other places. That you're keeping that focus. That we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This season of Advent. It's the season of the promise, and that's been our theme for these weeks in Advent. The promise, and uh, we've been following the promise of the coming of the Son in the Old Testament. And I hope it's not felt like wandering in the wilderness to you, (laughs) because I've probably taken you to more verses of Scripture than ever, and last few messages, but I want us to see that it is the everlasting promise of God, the promise of His Son that is coming. So let's review that just a little bit this morning. As you turn, take your Bibles turn to the passage that was read for us, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 9, rather, if you turn there. And I want us to review, just as we come to this passage this morning, a little bit of the journey that we've made about the promise. Now, the first promise in the Bible, you may recall, is found in Genesis chapter 3. It's found in the midst of All the wreck that had happened because of Adam and Eve's sin. The ruin that had come. And God is pronouncing what is going to happen. And what has happened because of this terrible rebellion of Adam and Eve. But in the midst of it he promises that there is one who is coming. The seed of the woman. And that he will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise his heel. And it's the promise that there is someone coming born of the woman. The hint of the virgin birth. Who is going to be the wounded warrior. He's going to crush the serpent. And all the serpent represents represents rebellion, sin. But in doing so, it's going to bring great pain to himself. He's going to be the wounded warrior. We follow that very beginning to the birth of the boy Seth. The Bible says that with the birth of Seth that people began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. There were those who began to align around this promise of God and His salvation. That promise came down to Noah when in the midst of incredible, awful sin and darkness, God showed favor and grace. He's a God of grace, right? And he showed grace to Noah and his family. After Noah, the promise came to one of Noah's sons, Shem. That through Shem would come one who would be The ruler over those who would be the enemies of God. The descendant of Shem, we track through the Bible, is Abraham. The one who was called by God to go to the land, the promised land that God would give to him and his descendants forever. He was called when he was 75, his wife Sarai is... 65. For 25 years, they are promised descendants like the stars in heaven, sands in the seashore. And yet they have no child. But God said, you will have a child. You'll have a son. And Abraham, remember, fell in the presence of the Lord and he laughed about it. And in effect, God said, you've just named the baby. Isaac, laughter. And Isaac was born when Abraham was 100, Sarah was 90. And there was laughter over this miraculous birth of a son born in a way, in a time that no one could have imagined. It's the promise. God then gave that covenant promise to Isaac's son Jacob, if anyone is ever an expression and token of God's undeserved grace, it's Jacob. (laughs) He's the trickiest of men, grabs the heel, manipulator, but God has set his love on him. Makes a promise to him that he will have ones born from him that will be a blessing to all the earth. Remember Jacob had... Twelve sons. And last week we saw that God made a promise to Judah. Through Jacob, he said to Judah, From you will come the one who will be like a lion. And he'll be a king. The lion king of Israel is coming from your descendants. And then... We trace that from Judah to a family of Judah, the family of Jesse, and to one of Jesse's sons. Jesse had a chance to bring all of his sons before Samuel to present them as a candidate to be the king. And which son was it? The one overlooked. It was David the shepherd's son, that God said, no, I've called him. We saw last week that then God made a promise to David in response to David's desire. What was David's desire? David's desire was this. God has made me king. Here I am. I dwell in this palace. All the tribes of Israel have been united to me, and I am king, and I live here, and The ark of God is in a tent. I'll build a house for him. I'm going to build a house for my God. And God met with David. You remember last week, it was, he saw it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He said, will you build me a house? Let me tell you what I'll do for you. I'm going to build you a house. I am going to build of you a house, and from you will come the one who will reign on your throne forever and ever. And beginning with that promise, friends, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, the promise is that the prophets picked up, there's one who's coming who is the son of David. There's one who is coming who is the promised one. ...who is going to establish this kingship that will last forever and ever. And friends, that long on-ramp that I've just given you... okay, ...takes us to this book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah is truly the prophet of the promise. No prophet like Isaiah shares as much about... This promised one who's coming, this Messiah, the anointed one. The one who will be the king, who will rise up from David. He's the great prophet of this promise. And what is the promise he makes? Well, let's look now at our text, Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is speaking in a day of doom and gloom and depression... Fear among the nations, fear among the nation of Israel, Judah. And God raises up Isaiah with a promise that there's going to come a great transformation. That to this people who know such gloom and know such impending disaster to them is given this promise of joy. It's a promise of joy. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 9. And I want you to see in the middle of it, in verse number 3 that was read this morning. Isaiah says by God's voice, speaking through him, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad... (laughs) <laughs> Do you hear that? Joy, 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 and gladness. <laughs> I, think, I think the Lord is trying to say joy is coming, right? But notice he makes that promise. That promise isn't for people who are living in the best of times, it's not a promise for people that everything's going their way. And life is just dreamy. No, notice how the Lord makes this promise the promise of joy. He makes it in the context of gloom and fear and worry, but it's a promise of complete transformation that's coming. Look if you would at verse number one, of this passage, Isaiah's great prophecy. Notice what he compares gloom, verse one, and glory, anguish and light, contempt and joy. As Isaiah is expressing this great. ...prophetic poem, because it is a poem. He's contrasting how radically different things are going to be. He says, right now it's a time of gloom and anguish and contempt for the nation. But I promise you, there's coming a time when it will be glory and light and joy. It's a complete transformation that's going to happen. Now, let's take a look at this transformation... ...that Isaiah is prophesying by God's Spirit. And there's some interesting things we need to notice about it. And I'm praying this morning as we look at this prophecy of Isaiah... ...it'll make us even rejoice so much more... ...in the absolute certainty and confidence we can have in the Word of God... And that no matter what, God's word is true and His promises are true. Amen. Notice this, this transformation that's coming. First of all, notice the location of it. Where's the location of this? Verse 1. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun... And the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made it glorious, the way of the sea, and beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, generally, if we were just reading the Bible, we just read right through that and say, those are some words hard to pronounce. (laughs) But slow down a little bit. Let's clarify this. He says, this is where this transformation is going to originate. It's going to originate in the land of Zebulun. What's Zebulun? Zebulun Zebulun is one of the tribes of Judah. It's a tribe in the north. The promised land was a portion to the twelve tribes. One of the small portions in the north was Zebulun. Right next to it was Naphtali. Also a tribe of Judah, side by side with the tribe of Zebulun in the north of Israel. And through this past, what was called the way of the sea. The way of the sea here means a highway. The highway that runs by the sea. You see, if you're coming from the north down through Israel, you're... Coming either by way of Asia going to the east or Europe going to the west. You have to come across this ridge called the land of Israel. And right next to the Mediterranean there's this ancient road that passes through Zebulun and Naphtali. It's called the way of the sea. It's been called that for millennia. And it runs... ...through an area called Galilee. (laughs) Galilee of the nations, do you see that? Galilee of the nations means Galilee of the Gentiles. Because in the northern part of Israel... ...lots of uh, people from other people groups had moved into that area. And actually, when Israel was carried off into captivity later than Isaiah... This whole area was repopulated by people who did not know the God of Israel. They brought their pagan ways with them and they lived there for centuries. And so Galilee was called Galilee of the Gentiles. You following this? It says this land will be a land of darkness. This northern part of Israel will be a land of darkness, spiritual darkness. It will be a land, an area of national darkness because this is the way, the way of the sea by which the Assyrians are going to come through and they're going to conquer the land. This is what Isaiah has been prophesying that if people did not turn to the Lord, the kingdom of Assyria was coming in judgment. It happened just as God led him to prophesy. This area is a land of darkness, spiritual darkness, national darkness. But what happens in this dark place of Galilee? Look at verse 2, illumination comes. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great what light those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them light has shone what's being said here that there is a light coming there's a light coming to this land of darkness This area of spiritual national darkness in Galilee. There's coming a light. A light that will not be overcome. It's going to shine into the darkness. It's going to bring illumination. And this light is not just going to be mental knowledge. (laughs) Illumination. It's going to bring ...light into the darkness of our hearts and it's going to bring jubilation. It's going to bring joy. Look here in verse 3, there's jubilation that's coming. Verse 3 says, and these people who've walked in darkness... ...and they've been in deep darkness, light will shine upon them. And what will be the result? You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy... They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil here. Notice he's talking about jubilation. It's it's almost like this is a poem to joy. You could call it the ode to joy if you wanted to. This is joy, 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 gladness. It's like joy to people who have... Come through starvation and now it's harvest time. It's joy of people who've been plundered and plundered and plundered by their enemies. And now their enemies are defeated and they're plundering the treasures of their enemies. There's this incredible joy. Why? Because liberation has come. This is a jubilation that comes from liberation. Look at verses 4 and 5. What's happened? The yoke of his burden of the oppressor. The yoke of his burden. The staff for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult. Every garment rolled ...in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What's this describing? A breaking of oppression. A breaking, a complete breaking of oppression... ...that's going to bring in joy. It's going to be like the day of Midian. What's the day of Midian? It's in your Bible. The day of Midian... ...goes back to the judge Gideon. Remember Gideon, one of the judges of Israel? He was told by God to raise an army to face the Midianites. Not just the Midianites... ...but also the Amalekites, and not just the Midianites and the Amalekites... ...but also all the armies of the East were gathered into Israel. The Bible says that the army looked like locusts. It was innumerable like sands by the seashore. And Gideon was told to go fight this incredible invading force. And what did God say to him? You've got too many. You need to whittle it down a little bit. And finally, God reduced the size of the army of Gideon to how many? 300. 300 against an army. Like locusts. Like the sands of the sea. What possible hope can there be for victory? Well, the Bible says, if God be for us, who can stand against us? And you know the story. God brought an incredible victory to this invading host. That was a historic event. But now listen to me, church. We're not here just to talk about history this morning. We're here to talk about living reality and a reality that is not yet here, but it is more certain than we are in this room this morning. What God has said will happen. Where did this battle take place? This battle with the Midianites. It took place in a a valley called the Valley of Jezreel. Where's the Valley of Jezreel? It starts over by Mount Carmel near the Mediterranean Ocean. It stretches for 30 or 40 miles or so all the way across this plain to another little mountain called Mount Gilboa right by the Jordan River. This is a valley, the valley of the way of the sea, (laughs) the valley of the highway. It's it's the valley through which three continents are connected. Europe, Asia, Africa, the road all comes through this valley. Napoleon, the French dictator, stood here and looked on this valley when he was making his way to Egypt. And he looked at this valley and said, this is the greatest battlefield on earth. But the Valley of Jezreel has another name in the Bible. You know what it's also called in the Bible? It's not just called the Valley of Jezreel. It's called the Valley of Megiddo. Because in the middle of the valley, there is a little hill that juts forth. And a city has been there defending that pass through the centuries... It's the hill of Megiddo or Armageddon. That's what this place is. This is where the Midianites were faced by Gideon. This is where God has said in the last days, I will gather the nations to Israel. I'll bring them to the valley of Jezreel. And there I will enter into judgment with them. And the Bible tells us, That God will gather them all to this place called Armageddon. And there the King of kings and the Lord of lords will come and fight. And he will win the victory bringing in his everlasting eternal kingdom. This is the promise that is in this word. ...that Christ is coming and there's going to be a complete victory and a complete deliverance. We serve a great God, do we not? Now notice this. Isaiah says that this is going to be such a complete victory. it's, It's going to be like all the weapons of the enemy have to be burned like fuel... Now, how is this going to happen? I mean, what kind of warrior is going to do this? I mean, is this going to happen with a shout of a warrior? Is it going to happen? Is this, going, is this deliverance going to come with a roar of angels? Well, yes. One day, yes. But friend, the warrior... ...has already come. The prince has already come. But he's come in just a little different way and form than was expected. Notice how he's come. This promised visitation. A visitation has happened. Look at this in verse number 6. For unto us a child is born... A son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's coming a a visitation. Now, a visitation in the Bible doesn't mean you're just having company, okay? A visitation in the Bible means God has showed up. That God has come on behalf of His people. You know, there's many songs in the Bible, in the Gospels, about the Christmas story. But one of them I love so much is the song of Zacharias. You rem- Remember, Zacharias was told that in his old age, he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a child. And he, he didn't believe that. And he was told, because you're standing here arguing with me, you won't speak anymore <laughs> until the day the child is born. And so he couldn't speak for all those months. And finally, the baby was born and they, they were trying to decide a name and he couldn't speak so he asked for a piece of slate and he wrote. <laughs> Smart guy. His name's John. <laughs> And as soon as he wrote that on the chalkboard, the Spirit of God rested upon him and he started singing about this baby who had been born, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Here's what he said. And his father, Zechariah, this is Luke 1:67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. This is the promise He spoke by the mouth of his prophets of old that we should be saved from our enemies. And the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers. To remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father. Who? Abraham. To grant us that being delivered from the hand of our enemies we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His way, to give the knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, the light, The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit where? In the darkness. Who is he quoting here? He's he's quoting from Isaiah. And in the shadow of death, he's going to come to guide us into the way of peace. (laughs) Notice, Zacharias said... He's raised up a horn of salvation. Horn of salvation. In the Bible, a horn means authority. It means a king. Salvation means deliverance. So when you put those together, what do you have promised? He's promising there will be a governor who will bring us a government... Of salvation. There is coming a governor, a king, who will bring us a kingdom of salvation. Now look at our text, if you would, back in Isaiah chapter 6. This is exactly what God said would happen. He said there's coming a governor. And what will be the nature of this governor? What's he going to be like? Verse 6. He says here in chapter 9, verse 6, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now notice, the one who's coming is a gift. A child is going to be born, but the son is going to be given. You see the beauty of the incarnation there? Jesus was born, but in his birth, the eternal Son of God was given. You see, the Son of God existed from everlasting to everlasting. He came to this earth as a baby, he was born Jesus, but he had existed throughout all eternity as the Son. A child will be born. And who will be given to us? The Son. The Son will be given. What a gift. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. You know, a gift is personal, isn't it? When God says the Son is being given, it's personal. Personal. And so when you receive something from a person and, and you experience their kindness, you may have a, a, a name for them like you've never had before. You know them like you've never known them before because they've given you something you could have never imagined. So, what is he saying here? A child's going to be born and the son is going to be given. And those who receive him, they're, they're going to have names for him. What are those names? Well, they're going to name this son after what he's meant to them, he's, he's met their needs. What needs do we have that are only met? In the sun. Well we need wisdom don't we? Haven't we done a great job of trying to figure it out by ourselves? (laughs) Hasn't that been a bright idea? Aren't we advancing in understanding and wisdom around this world? No. We need wisdom. And what do you get from the sun? A wonderful counselor. A wonder of a counselor. That's... You can look to Him. You can get the counsel you need from the one who is the wisdom of the ages. Because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Amen. You want wisdom? Go to the source. Amen. The source of wisdom. And the source of wisdom is the Son. He's a wonderful Counselor, what else do we need? We need strength. We're weak, we need strength. Who is He? Who is this son for us that's been given to us? He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. The word mighty here, you know what it literally means? Hero. He's our hero God. Talk about superhero. This isn't comic book stuff here. This isn't action figures. This is God Almighty who is a hero for His people. We need strength and He is our superhero. What did Isaiah say? To the weak He gives what? Strength. What did Paul say? When I am weak, then I am strong. In the strength that the Lord supplies. He's a mighty God. What else do we need? We need wisdom. He's our wonderful counselor. We need strength. He's our mighty God. We need love and security. He's our everlasting Father. Now, don't, don't go so deep here. You say, is Isaiah confused on the Trinity here? I mean, Really? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, the Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Spirit. Spirit's not the Father. They're separate persons. One God. What's the message here? This one who is coming, who is the eternal Son, He is going to be like a Father everlasting to His people. All the best that you can imagine in the idea of Father... ...all the security, all the comfort... ...it's all wrapped up in this one who is coming... ...and being given to us, the Son. He's the creator, but he's the caregiver. Can you imagine that? The one who created all things... ...is the one who takes little babies in his hands. The one who scooped up the oceans, stacked up the mountains, flung the stars into space, is the one who is behind us and He's before us. And thank God He lays His hand on us. He's a very present help in time of need. What do we need? We need wisdom. He's the wonderful counselor. We need strength. He's the mighty God. We need comfort and love and security. He's the everlasting father. And we need relief from stress and fear and doubt. And he is the prince of peace. The prince of peace. He doesn't rule... subdue. He rules to support. He's not a dictator to have it his way, on his terms. He is the most tender and compassionate and loving who wants us to know his peace my peace i give to you my peace i leave with you the prince of peace what a governor <laughs> what what a governor and how would you like to live under a government with that governor well that government is real It's real in the hearts of God's people where He is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But my friend, I want you to know that kingdom which is now spiritual is coming in the literal, physical return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Prince of Peace, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, He is Coming and bringing his government. And what will that government be like? Verse number seven of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of whom? David. That was the promise. I will raise up from you, David, one who will sit on your throne and rule forever. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. He will establish it. He will uphold it. It will be a kingdom with justice and righteousness. It will exist from this time forth and forevermore. Don't doubt it at all. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's already done. It's so amazing that God's describing prophecy here. And He's using past tense. Because with God, the future is as certain as the past. The nature of that government is going to be peace. Of His government and peace. I thought this week. How, how could I possibly describe the government of the peace of the Son of God? And you know what? <laughs> I decided, Sam, you're not that good. <laughs> not close. So how about just let a better preacher describe it? How about Isaiah, let him describe it? Inspired by the Lord. What will that Peace be like. There will be peace among the nations. Turn back chapter 2. I'm finishing now. <laughs> what will it be like? Peace among the nations. Chapter 2. Here's the government. Here's the government that's coming. The word of, that Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass, chapter 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord, that's his kingdom, shall be established as the highest of all the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide the disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears, these instruments of war, into plowshares. And pruning hooks, instruments of peace. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. O oh, house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen. If you go to New York City, you go near the East River, you'll find that building, the United Nations. And you'll find on one side of the United Nations an incredibly beautiful sculpture of an ancient warrior taking a sword and with a gigantic hammer beating it into a plowshear. My friend, I want you to know something. The swords will be beaten into plowshares. And the spears into pruning hooks. There'll come a day when nation shall no longer rise against nation. Neither shall men ever learn war anymore. But that will not be brought in by the UN. That will be brought in by JN, Jesus of Nazareth. He's bringing that. He's bringing that. And there will be peace among the nations... And then there'll be peace among all creatures, great and small. Isaiah 11, just listen to this. Verse 1. Listen to this government of peace. Certainly it's symbolic, but if it's symbolic, imagine what it represents. <laughs> There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Where where did the promise go? In Judah, to Jesse, to one of his sons, David. David died and he was buried. But out of his descendants, there came a branch. That's a term for Messiah. Out of the stump of Jesse, he'll bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will be upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. There's that day of Midian. There's Armageddon. Righteousness will be the belt of his waist. Faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Oh, things are different now, right? The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion, the fatted calf, together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the winged child shall put his hand into the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. That's his kingdom. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, the descendant of David... Jesus of Nazareth, in that day, He shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of Him the nations shall inquire. They'll come flooding to Him in prayer and petition. And His resting place over them, His shalom, will be glorious. Joy. That's a sacred promise. and Joy is eternal reality. Of His kingdom of joy, there will be no end. But friend, I want to tell you this. Joy is a present gift to those who receive the source of joy, Jesus Christ. Amen. Joy to the world. How does the world receive joy? One person at a time. As people receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Friend, I want to ask you. In your heart are the seeds of this kingdom already there. Yes, it's buried and it doesn't always bear fruit. But you know. He's your wonderful counselor. He's your mighty God. For you, He's like the Everlasting Father, and in Him, you found Him to be the Prince of your peace. Joy, joy to the world.